Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. We are offering three conversations from this week's second preview of the upcoming Digital International Liver Congress 2021. In this conversation, Stephen Harrison and Jorn Schottenberg lead a discussion about drug development and modes of action that are proven productive or nonproductive, all in the context of presentation titles from Digital ILC 2021. This agenda has stimulated tremendous excitement among our extended Surfing Nash team, so sit back, listen, Enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Next week, close to 10,000 stakeholders from across the global hepatology community will convene virtually for the Digital International Liver Congress 2021, a four-day meeting with well over 100 sessions on a broad range of liver-related topics. Today, join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and this week's guest, hepatology researcher and key opinion leader, Professor Jarn Schottenberg, as they discuss Discuss the sessions and papers that interest them most today on the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Why don't we go on to the second round? Stephen, you mentioned wanting to talk about cirrhosis and some of the cirrhosis papers, and I know that you're involved with one of them, and I know that you're embargoed. But to the degree that you want to talk about presentations or papers that cover that, that would be a great place to start this round. Yeah, so just to give you a high-level overview without diving into the data, one of the late breaker abstracts is one of the cohorts of the Efruxafermin phase 2A trial was a cirrhotic cohort, and that data will be presented in its fullness at the late breaker session. But what's been pressed in the public domain is, you know, it's not a huge study. We're talking about 17 patients, 12 on drug, 5 placebo, but a third of them having improvement in histopathology, taking them away from an F4 back to something less than F4, which you could say, okay, it's short duration of treatment, 16 weeks, but boy, did the non-invasive test move in a correlatory manner. And so it's proof of concept. I get it. But it's proof of concept that even a well-compensated cirrhotic patient potentially, and I'm very cautious with that word, potentially could improve. And so that should give us all hope that even these people aren't beyond our ability to make a big difference in their life with pharmacotherapy. So we'll hear more about it. But if anything, it becomes a platform to have a discussion. And hopefully more companies will jump on board in evaluating this huge unmet need. I mean, if you think about it, yes, so Onsertib studied it and it was unsuccessful. Others have studied it. If you look at Imrasekan, Imrasekan looked at cirrhotics as well and didn't do much. We still have the reverse trial with Intercept that we're anxiously awaiting the results. That's a huge study. I think if I'm not forgetting, Yorn, isn't it like 900 people that are enrolled in reverse? This is the first time where we've actually seen movement in a positive direction. And we'll learn more about it and, and unpack that a little bit more at the liver meeting. Just to jump in here and, and highlight something that Stephen says, the liver is really the big organ that produces a lot of those fibrogenic markers. Those don't come from the bone or other tissue. So if you're in a cirrhotic state and you reverse that immense fibrogenic response by a drug, this is something that's going to translate into 
benefit for the patient. I don't have any doubt on that. Yeah, well, we're not saying 16 weeks of therapy is all you need. That was just the first shot across the bow, the first look to see. If, if you're really defatting the liver to the degree that this particular FGF21 is, and you're moving some of these non-invasive tests significantly, we'll take a stab at seeing what's happening under the microscope. There's a lot more to do with it and a lot more to unpack, as I mentioned previously, but I think it's intriguing. So, Stephen, I have a question. I'm trying to think of a drug that looked at cirrhosis and failed that did well against F3 patients. Certainly the two examples that you gave did not do very well anywhere. Have we seen that yet, even in trial? I mean, and fructoferment obviously seems to be, has, has results suggesting they might do well against both. In a cirrhotic trial, we haven't. So Madrigal has published their phase 2B results, and they're currently enrolling the registration trial called Maestro Nash. But there's also Maestro Naffold 1, which will be showing 52-week data from the open-label 100-milligram arm there. But in that study, there's also an open-label cirrhotic arm. Now, those people aren't getting a liver biopsy. They're being treated for a year, and then we're looking at non-invasive tests like MR elastography, PDFF, Fibroscan, ELF, Pro-C3, liver chemistry tests, but no biopsy. So that's resmeterone. Aldefermin, which just recently pressed their Alpine 2-3 results, and everybody was disappointed with the fibrosis response group. They are continuing to enroll what's called Alpine 4, which is their well-compensated F4 study. So the jury's still out on aldefermin. You can say what you want about the press release data, in my own opinion, and take that for what it's worth. I think it's clear that there is a problem with liver biopsy, not necessarily the pathologist, but the limitations that that pathologist is put behind when trying to look at paired liver biopsies from a relatively small sampling of the liver. You have sampling variability, observer variability, regression to the mean. You know, there's a certain amount of disease that improves and worsens over a one-year period of time. The Senecrivorock study showed us that. So unless you're bringing to bear, one of the things we've learned as we move this field forward is that maybe consensus reading is better. And if we have the opportunity to overlay that with some sort of artificial intelligence, digital pathology, I mean, there's enough data coming out now to say we could be more granular at showing the impact of pharmacotherapy on fibrosis and even the components of NAS and NASH. So the jury's still out, in my opinion. I don't think it's, you know, that aldefermin doesn't work. I'm holding out hope for that F4 population. We have the BMS drug, Pegbelferman, and FGF21, functioning mainly through beta-clotho-FGF-R1C, that has published their phase 2A data quite some time ago now. Many days, study Valkin 1 and Valkin 2, I believe we should be hearing from Valkin 2, was their serotic population. But again, we don't have any biopsy data from Peg Belferman. In fact, just looking at every FGF21, that whole class of drug, the only biopsies we have are from the BALANCE trial, which is Efruxafermin. And so we have a lot more data we need to collect relative to the FGF21 class. As far as other classes of drug, OCA's got their F4 trial, the reverse trial, but we don't have readouts from that as well. So Roger, at the end of the day, we don't have hardly anything in the cirrhotic field that where the non-cirrhotic data showed a benefit and now we have F4 data showing a benefit. That That's 
that that data set gets really small in a hurry. Yeah, I was kind of going in the opposite direction, and then I want to move on to something else, which is the places where F4, we clearly haven't seen a benefit, don't tend to be places where we've seen a big promising benefit earlier in disease. Two you mentioned, right, were uh, Solonsertib and uh, Emricosin, both of which just failed. It isn't they did really well against F3, and then they did terribly against cirrhosis. They just didn't do very well. Well, that's true. But also remember, one thing that's been a little delayed when we begin to think about drug development in NASH is we've, I think, have been a little bit more savvy at developing tools to tackle the metabolic side of the house, more so than we have to tackle stellate cells or extracellular matrix collagen deposition. I mean, if you think about the buckets of drugs that are targeting different pathways in NASH. We, we've got a lot of them that are targeting free fatty acid flux from adipocytes. We're trying to improve insulin sensitivity. We have drugs now that can get after de novo lipogenesis, whether it's an SCD1 inhibitor, an ACC inhibitor, a FASTN inhibitor. We've got THR betas. We've got PAN PPARs. We've got PPARs, PPAR gammas. I'm sure I'm leaving out there. FGF19s, the 21s. There's a lot of them out there. We have structurally engineered fat fatty acids as well. But when you look at antifibrotics, purely antifibrotics, we're a little bit limited. We got some early, early data coming with maybe pancyclophilin inhibition and others, but boy, we're just not where as mature field yet in the purely antifibrotic play. Now, this is a plug for Scott Friedman. He's, in my opinion, the, the world's greatest liver fibrosis guy out there. He is working nonstop trying to help get some of these compounds into the clinic to study. But when we look at switching gears to pure anti-inflammatory plays, that's where we've seen the graveyard fill up in a hurry. You know, whether it's CCR25 or it's cilantrotib ASK1 inhibition or it's others, it's been a challenge. It doesn't mean you can't go after that market, but I think the issue there has been finding a clear marker of target engagement. Are we hitting what we're trying to hit? And that was one of the issues with the ASK1 inhibitor cilantrotib. We couldn't really assess were we getting drug on target and it doing what it was supposed to do. That's one of the keys in that space is how do we how do we know we're hitting what we're supposed to hit? That's the mechanistical complaint. I think they were just too soft in, in the metabolic burden patient uh, to go by themselves. So I think, you know, uh, as you said, they have to hit the target. But if they do, they might still need something add-on to get the job done. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's go back to the agenda of the uh, conference for a minute and, and ask uh, Jorn Louise what else you've seen in the scientific program that we've not mentioned that you think has some particular value or interest? It's not so much the scientific side. I'll leave that to Stephen and Jorn. But what is encouraging is Friday, the 25th, there's a session on management in primary care and how we look at non-invasives in primary care, um, cardiovascular. What do primary care physicians think of liver disease? So I think it's really important to try and get to understand the issues with primary care. There's also a session on with EASL and the World Health Organization. As you know, I advocate a lot for fatty liver disease and that being given an NCD status independently, which I don't think it has currently. But there's a lot of discussion going on about the NCDs. Where do they sit with liver disease? How prevalent is it in other areas? So I'll be interested to see those sessions. And that's between 2 o'clock and 3.30 on 
the 26th, and that's Karina Ferreira-Borges and Peter Jepson are heading that. So I think a lot of work that Donna's been involved in with GLI and the International Liver Foundation have done a lot of hard work with the World Health Organization on this. So we are progressing in all shapes and sizes throughout this program. It's very diverse. It's very inclusive, which is nice to see. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back in the coming week with interviews from leaders in easel and other key opinion leaders in hepatology, followed by our same-day coverage of the digital ILC on June 24, 25, and 26. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.